This episode of Radio Atlantic is brought to you by Microsoft Copilot for Security. In the age of AI, we're empowering security teams to better detect and better defend cyber threats. Stay tuned to find out how. Should we go electric? I think we should go electrified with Toyota. Electrified? Electrified means options. So electrified looks different for everyone. Yup, and with more options for reducing carbon emissions, Toyota is electrified diversified. Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero. Hello, this is The Review, a podcast from the Atlantic's culture team about movies, television, and all the things we make to entertain ourselves. I'm Sophie Gilbert, a staff writer at The Atlantic, and I'm joined today by two other staff writers on our culture team, Shirley Lee. Hello. And Spencer Kornhaber. Hiya. How are you both <laughs> doing? Hiya. Uh, I'm trying to innovate on the hello at the beginning of the segment, and it's not going well, so that's on Oh, playing. I like that, though. No, no, that was sweet. That was sweet. We are here today to discuss... Pam and Tommy, the Hulu miniseries. Um, It tells the story of Pamela Anderson and Tommy Lee's infamous sex tape and stars Lily James and Sebastian Stan as the celebrity couple and Seth Rogen as the disgruntled contractor who sells the stolen tape on the internet. Pam and Tommy, obviously based on a true story. I think loosely, but but fairly. Based on a magazine feature. Based on a magazine story in Rolling Stone that came out in 2014 that focused on Rand Gauthier, who is the character that Seth Rogen plays. He is the disgruntled contractor who Tommy Lee stiffs on a job and forces off his property with a shotgun to the face. And Rand decides to get his revenge and steals a safe from the couple's property that turns out to contain a tape. Nobody is ever getting rich off a celebrity sex tape, okay? This really, I think, was the first instance of a celebrity sex tape really going viral. I've thought about it when I was writing about the series. I thought about it as like the first real instance of revenge porn in mainstream American culture. And so it's it's an interesting topic to consider now as we're sort of in this moment of 90s, thousands revisionism and, and thinking about the stars who we did wrong at the time and weren't sensitive to... But of course, Pam and Tommy comes with an asterisk, which is that it has not been made with Pamela Anderson's approval. She ignored all efforts from the team, the cast and crew to reach out to her during the mm-hmm. process and has said that she really sort of resents the existence of this series that digs into a moment in her life that she felt was very humiliating and punishing and, and sort of obviously a gross invasion of her privacy. So, you know, the, t- the show... <laughs> Uh, the show comes with a lot of factors to consider and discussing. I wanted to ask, first of all, in, in purely as a work of entertainment, before we get into any of the context, what do you two make of it? Shirley, what were your first impressions? Well, whenever I see a TV show that is inherently buzzy because of its subject, it's not necessarily recognizable IP. It's it's a recognizable scandal playing the role of recognizable IP. <laughs> I, I want it to make the case for being a series And those first couple of episodes, I think, seemed to point in a direction that this would not be a show that's full of bloat. And it starts petering out for me by the end. But I'm I'm curious what Spencer thinks. I have to say I enjoyed it. I went into it with similar reservations about, you know, this crop of shows and movies over the past decade that have kind of straightforwardly tried to recreate scandals from history and, like, teach us something about them. But they just kind of 
uh, end up feeling like rehashes or they end up becoming a little boring because they're a little too in the weeds of what actually happened or they end up feeling dishonest because they're distorting reality in a way that, that tries to entertain the audience. Spencer, what are you thinking of when you, when you say that? Like, what specific examples? Yeah, I mean, the People versus O.J. Simpson series by Ryan Murphy comes to mind, as does the whole American Crime Stories franchise by him. We just did a House of Gucci cast, and uh, mm-hmm. I had my problems with that. Uh, <laughs> You know, The Crown is in this genre. Uh, what else are we other, thinking about? I mean, other G- Gillespie works. I'm, <laughs> I'm wearing an I, Tanya sweatshirt. <laughs> and that, that was a film that didn't come with the asterisk that Sophie mentioned at the top because Tanya Harding was fully on board with having her side of the story told in a film adaptation. Right, but that was another one that, you know, goes through uh, something scandalous, something covered by tabloids and just retells it. I, I don't want to be too harsh on it. Yeah, yeah. Though. Well, I mean, um, you know, but, but, I, you I, know I, it's that genre. Yeah, I was con- I, I was concerned that that it would um, essentially just be, uh, yeah, like walking us through the Wikipedia entry. But uh, no, no, the show is fun and um, and it's weirdly lovable in many parts. And you do want to know what happens, and you do care about these characters. And reading the original Rolling Stone story that this was based on and reading some other things about what actually happened, it's actually like pretty true to what happened. I mean, it, it's bent a couple things, but it's generally bent things in the direction of making Pam and, and also Tommy a little more sympathetic. It felt like it was kind of like walking on this tight wire the whole time, and I kept expecting it to fall off, and it, it never quite did. Oh, a what site? A web site. It's this thing on the computer. People will go to it. They will order the tape directly from us. Okay, and how does somebody find this? They will find it on a search engine like Yahoo or AltaVista. And one of the things that I really did appreciate about the show is it, it's a kind of useful as a guide to like how the internet went wrong, right? Like mm-hmm. it, it, it's set in 95 and 96, so the earliest days, you know, when you still had dial-up modems and mm-hmm. Tommy Lee didn't know what the internet was and probably didn't have an email address, or if he did, it was like Tommy Lee at Mac.com. <laughs> so you sort of really get to see the first days of the internet as this wild west where anything could happen and anything could be sold and and all the rules that applied to ordinary life like legal injunctions and copyright laws and privacy laws didn't exist on this new frontier which is you know it's and and how it blew everything up how it blew privacy up how it blew celebrity culture up how it blew up porn in in ways that Mm -hmm. we are still i think struggling to deal with now there's so many angles to it technology celebrity privacy are you pitching a story? Why not? The Los Angeles Times is not doing a story on a sex tape. A celebrity sex tape. It starts from a very simple thing, which is mm-hmm. uh, the sex tape. And it seems like that's like a salacious story. There's even like that kind of subplot about the LA Times reporter who's trying to sell her editor on the idea that this sex tape is consequential. And it's kind of like, you know, the viewer might wonder, should we be making a show <sighs> about this? Like, are we just like going into the salaciousness again? But yeah, I mean, like, it really does, like, it really does follow, like, a lot of these threads, like, what it meant for privacy and what it meant for celebrity culture and what it meant for the actual people involved. Um, and yeah, I mean, to me, it's like, I, I, I would be, uh, you know, it would be a big letdown if the show didn't try to follow all those tendrils. Now, I, I do agree that, like, some of them are, um, they end up making for, like, a kind of, like, strained, uh, you see the construction writing. There is this strange thing where it has this third character in the Tom and Pam and Tom story, uh, 
who is Seth Rogen's character, Rangotier, the contractor who steals the tape. And it like spends an incredible amount of time with him. And we can get into whether or not that worked. But I thought it was kind of doing something interesting with that character that um, I think in the end helped the show uh, say something. So, yeah. Well, I want to push back on that slightly because you mentioned that the show makes uh, possibly having not met them as people, I cannot opine on, on their characters, but possibly makes uh, Pamela Anderson and Tommy Lee more sympathetic. But it definitely makes the character of Rand more sympathetic. I mean, it, there's a whole backstory about him and his... It's curiously enough, like leaves out most of the interesting backstory from the Rolling Stone article about his dad being a famous actor. Um, mm-hmm. But it creates this kind of mythology for him where he's an amateur theologian, uh, <laughs> has a devoted mm-hmm. interest in all the world's religions, mm-hmm. is, a, is a big believer in karma, like truly thinks that good people get eventually rewarded and bad people get their just desserts, which is part of why he takes this mission against tommy Mm -hmm. lee so seriously i think he even like to the extent of getting a van and writing operation payback on it um yeah and so like the i think what i wanted to talk about with you both now is like this to me feels like a series that has had an evolution midway through and it hasn't quite clicked like it mm-hmm. feels like something that was originally conceived as a vehicle for Seth Rogen and was supposed to be what we see in the first three episodes, this like kind of surprisingly sweet, very funny caper comedy um, where there's mad antics and like kind of Hollywood stars on the sidelines and um, and Seth Rogen plays this, you know, lovable stoner Seth Rogen character. And I think originally James Franco was partly involved in the production of it and then he dropped out uh, after his own... Me Too scandals in 2018 was replaced by his brother Dave as a, as a producer. So it it feels like maybe there was some retooling of it along the way where they possibly, while making this project, realized that you couldn't tell this story without maybe amping up the the character of Pam and the consideration of what happened to her. And so it's really interesting to me that the, the creative team early on is all male, right? Like the two showrunners mm-hmm. are male, Robert Siegel mm-hmm. and D.V. DeVincentis and Craig Gillespie is obviously a man, directed the first three episodes. And then at some point, bringing in Lake Bell, the actor and director, Hannah Fidel, uh, who directed the movie in the FX series, A Teacher, and then Gwyneth Horda-Payton to direct the five remaining episodes. So it feels like at some point, maybe there was a slight like creative reorientation to try and beef up the show's... I don't want to say feminist credentials because that feels a little bit cynical, but that but I am being cynical here. So. Not, not, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But be, be cynical because this is where I'm coming from when I say that I feel like the series kind of peters out. It feels like two different shows struggling to be one thing, right? It's like yeah. on the one hand, it wants to be scandalous and really play up the absurd, which is something that Craig Gillespie is good at. He's the director of Itania. He's the director of Cruella. He also directed before those films, Lars and the Real Girl. He has this fascination with, yeah, (laughs) he has this fascination with stories that have a lot of strange twists and turns to it. And in those early episodes, those elements are so played up that by the latter half of the season, you almost... For me, at least, I felt like the show turned into something more generic simply because it started so strong with that visual flair and the and the zippiness of it. But at the same time, you can't tell the story without really reconsidering Pamela Anderson as character. And those two elements did not marry into a cohesive show. Okay, but you don't seem to understand what a big deal this is to me. Like it's not a big deal to me? I'm on that tape just the same as you. But this is worse for me. I mean, this is way worse. I think what the show lacks 
is that it's telling the feminist branch of the story instead of showing it. Whereas with the internet culture stuff, I find it a lot more fascinating because it is really showing all the steps of that and how mm-hmm. many cooks are in the kitchen that's not even defined as a kitchen yet. You know what I mean? Yeah. The, the stuff about the scandal hurting Pam more in terms of her reputation because of her gender does not feel like it's being shown well. Like she has to be the only person saying any of these things. How is this worse for you? Why? Because of your big career? Which is so much bigger than mine. What, Tommy? It's not because of my big career. It's because I'm a woman. And I wish it didn't treat her and Taylor Schilling's characters as mouthpieces to get these, you know, moments in. They feel like sprinkles. You know, someone forgot to, like, bake it into the actual (laughs) pie. Yeah. I wrote about this in my review a little bit about how, like, because Pam comes to represent so many things, one of which is all the terrible things that happen to women on the internet, like, you kind of lose a sense of who she, I I even mean calling her Pam now, that's not her name, that's like the tabloid nickname for her. You kind of lose a a sense of who she is that I think maybe would have been more present if she had been on board. That said, this is a really interesting question, like, who gets to tell whose story is something we haven't necessarily figured out. Like, Monica Lewinsky was an executive producer on the recent season of American Crime Story Impeachment, which focused largely on her, I think, to the detriment of the show. Like, I think it actually Mm -hmm. would have been a better, more compelling show if it had focused more on the Clintons and less on Monica. Maybe that's a terrible anti-feminist thing to say, but that was was how I felt watching it. Sophie, I, I agree. There there was just a, like, we haven't figured out this question. You're right. Yeah. And we haven't figured out the right way to do it in, in a way that yields a product that doesn't, while you're watching it, remind you of whatever happened behind the scenes. When I was watching Impeachment, I couldn't finish the series because it was just kind of like, well, first of all, I didn't enjoy watching the destruction of Monica Lewinsky. Yeah. And there was just this nagging idea like is this the full story or am I just watching something dishonest am I like is there a point Mm -hmm. to this and I think as Pam and Tommy went on that question came back but from the other direction like is there a point to continue watching this if I know that Pamela Anderson didn't have a say in any of this but I I don't know what the solution is and and I know I keep bringing I Tanya up but I what in my old job I had to cover that movie (laughs) and (laughs) In my reporting, I just remember the screenwriter saying he fact-checked everything that was in that film with Tanya Harding. It's called I, Tanya, not I, Nancy. So he didn't go to Nancy and get everything, like, you know, checked out from her end. But as long as Tanya signed off on her truths (laughs) and Jeff Galuli signed off on his, his screenplay, everything that they say is what they believe. So the audience can take away whatever they believe from it. And it's just this mixed bag of, okay, I guess that clears everyone but I, I don't know if that does either. It's yeah. like, I mean, memory memory is a fallible. Personal narrative is not always entirely trustworthy. Like everyone mm-hmm. has their own agenda, of course, in life. Like, so the, I, I think the, there is a, a huge gap, I think, in Pam and Tommy without having Pamela Anderson's approval that, that is hard to get past. But at the same time, it's really hard to know what to do with these kinds of stories if, if the people that they are about don't want them to be told. Like we, yeah, these are, mean, It's like the early days of the internet. We haven't figured out a moral framework for this entirely. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, 
like we can't live in a world where we can't make movies about famous people without their approval. Like, like, yeah, like no, we have to start from that. Like, it's just like, you know, like, <laughs> well, no, I mean, uh, and like storytelling it's is not that bending. We can't, but it's like, is it the right thing to do necessarily? Well, yeah, I, absolutely. Um, you know, and then, and then you enter questions of like, what are you doing with that story? Are you just replicating it and, and living with the, are you, are we basically like watching the sex tape again? You know, that, that she objected to, being put out there and it's basically like an act of titillation again um mm-hmm. and i think the answer is like no with, with the show i mean like you know it's straining to make all of these points about about what happened and put it in a greater context and like you know it, it may not completely succeed at it but i think it um it really changes my perception of pamela anderson like i i mean i didn't know a lot about her you know i didn't know a lot about the story and even knowing the fact that they didn't like intentionally leak it, like that's like a very basic fact that like now um, mm-hmm. pop culture can like really like believe now. I feel like because like they've yeah. said it all these years, but like people don't know that. And and like in general, like it, it it whatever it's doing with her character, it's making her seem sweet and smart and ambitious and driving at like how absolutely painful it was to have this happen to her. And like it's pretty astute about the reasons it was painful, you know. Maybe she was somewhat, like, ashamed of, of this footage coming out, but she's, like, quite aware more of, like, how it's going to damage her career and, like, damage how people see her when she walks down the street. And that's, like, really, like, a wrenching thing to see. And to me, it's just, like, it, it feels helpful to me. And she may not like that. I mean, she may feel like she's being, uh, like, condescended to or turned into, like, a symbol of something she want, doesn't want to be a symbol of. And that's, like, uh, I hope she will speak her piece on that. But, um, like, as, as the show went on watching it, like, I was like, yeah, they're actually, like, they, they want to do right by Pam. Yeah. People are going to think you're cool for this. They'll be high-fiving you in the street. Me, I'm going to get looked at like a slut by the whole world. That's ridiculous. It's not ridiculous. It's true. You don't know. You have no idea. I will say, I feel like I've come off too strong in my criticisms of this show when I do appreciate its intentions. And it does do a good job of simply showing well, the job of being a celebrity or someone like Pamela Anderson, who's like, you can see in Lily James's performance, like the sheer exhaustion of, well, A, having to sell yourself and your image as part of your job and also constantly defending your worth. Just that that combination, it, it shows. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think that the show does get to that instead of telling it. And I, I appreciate I appreciate the show's intentions on that front. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm not completely of, negative on it. <laughs> one of the things that really blew my mind, I think, as you said, Shirley, like there's a lot of telling and, and less showing when it comes to Pamela's side of the story. But watching her on the Baywatch set with the male producers and directors all standing around and every time she walks up to ask them, you know, about her monologue and they just stare mm. at her crotch or at her cleavage. <laughs> and, and then you remember, like, this was a show that I watched as a child that, you know, 15 million people watched in England. It was on on Saturday nights and all the, you know, little kids would get together and watch this show that was basically hot people in swimsuits <laughs> running. <laughs> um, you know, and, and oh, you really man. sense in the show, like, how crazy Hollywood was in, in that era and, and how 
you know, this sweet woman just wants, just wants her monologue, just wants to act, just wants yeah, to be yeah. appreciated for being more than a sex symbol. Like, d- doesn't reject the idea of being a sex symbol whatsoever. I think she has that amazing mm-hmm. speech with her publicist about Jane Fonda and all the multitudes that she contains, but but really yeah. thinks that she's capable of being more, but no one will give her the opportunity. Yeah, and I mean, it is getting into this question of what do we want or what are we going to allow our, like, bombshell female celebrities to do as they as they mature or get older or like want to do different things with their career, you know, it makes me think of uh, our girl Kim Kardashian, who you know mm. is probably the closest thing we have today to uh, Pamela Anderson and how she's like embarking on this legal career and like people don't take that seriously. Um, I thought that was so amazing that Pamela's publicist asks her like, "Who's your role model?" and Pamela says Jane Fonda, and it's just like the publicist is like, "What are you talking about?" <laughs> like. <laughs> Like, like, who looks up to Jane Fonda? And then, and then, yeah, Pamela completely, completely spells out, like, this is, like, one of the few examples we have of society allowing, or, like, a woman, like, getting past the prejudices that keep them from, like, you know, being seen as a full human in the public eye. Like, yeah, that was, I never thought of Jane that way either. She was being a feminist and a sex object. People gave her so much shit for it. How could you do that? You're such a hypocrite. But she didn't care. She didn't give a shit what people thought of her. You know, that that that's probably the most amazing thing about her. That moment, though, also just felt so... Like, I think it works because you also feel... You suddenly feel sad for Pamela Anderson because she does not have the career that Jane Fonda had. Right. And you also think about the fact that... Or later on, especially with episode six, you, you finally see her backstory a lot more. And it, it did to me, it felt like a little late, but we don't have to get into that. It's just you get the sense that she looked up to someone like Jane Fonda, but the reason why she looked up to Jane Fonda is also everything that has been presented to the public, if that makes sense. Whereas behind the scenes, Jane Fonda, and this isn't to discredit Jane Fonda, it's she came out of Hollywood royalty, has a really good safety net. For someone like Pamela Anderson from, as they say multiple times in the show, Lady Smith. Canada, British Columbia, Columbia, and you know, the outskirts of Vancouver, and you see her mom, she just doesn't have that safety net. Everything that she's reaching for that Jane Fonda got, she just doesn't have the same resources. You know, she didn't worry what people thought. She never tried to please anybody. She was just like, you know what? I am this badass sex mom, anti-war, workout video selling actress chicken. If you got a problem with it, fuck you. We're entering a new era of security. Cyber threats are escalating rapidly. And while tech alone can't eliminate every threat, it can empower security teams to quickly respond to incidents at scale. Microsoft is transforming the industry by innovating to arm teams with the resources necessary to outpace adversaries and operate at machine speed. Microsoft Copilot for Security, powered by generative AI, works alongside defenders. Stay tuned to learn more about Copilot's capabilities after the episode. So, should we go electric? I think we should go electrified with Toyota. Electrified? Electrified means options. Yes, we could go all electric with a Toyota BZ4X, but then there are hybrids like Grand Highlander. Or we could do something in between, like a RAV4 plug-in hybrid. So, Toyota is electrified diversified? Yep, and with more options for reducing carbon emissions, the closer we all get to Toyota's Beyond Zero vision for the future. Exactly. How much coffee have you had this morning? Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero. I mean, the show ends up being a tragedy. Like, Pamela doesn't get the career that she wanted. There's this horrible, like, motif of Pamela being like, it's just going to blow over. Like, she's, like, kind of mm-hmm. praying for everything to be fine and, like, for no one to... 
no one to care about this tape and like it's not going to be that big a deal it's not going to hurt her. and it's just like like scene after scene that optimism is like torn away and yeah in, in episode six which is uh surrounds this deposition that was taken for a lawsuit that pam and tommy filed against what was a penthouse the porn magazine that yes, wanted to yeah. republish images of the video it's so brutal it's just it's horrible yeah i mean it's it's an ordeal i mean it, I, the structure of it you can sense the artifice like you know from the beginning this is going to be the pamela like backstory episode and so it uses the deposition and it it has flashbacks to her early career her sort of discovery at a football game in canada the call from playboy and then her early test shoot at playboy mansion which is you know, depicted in this very, like, gauzy, dreamy, idealistic, Hef is a very sweet and woman-forward <laughs> man who gives her all this career advice that she really takes to heart. And, you know, the shoot is very feminist and she's allowed to do whatever she's comfortable with. And, you know, which, you know, it doesn't always jibe with everything yeah. you know about <laughs> Playboy in the right. past. But, but you know, it's, it's presented as this really sort of empowering experience. And then, you know, she chooses to to have her breasts augmented to further her career and, you know, gets, as as we know later, the role on Baywatch, but sort of dreams of bigger things. And so you see, you see certain elements of Anderson's past. You certainly don't see everything, given the things that she said about really awful experiences that happened to her during her childhood and her teenage years. Um, yeah. So it's by yeah. no means a full biopic, but you get these flashes of her career coupled with questions that the lawyers are asking her now, which are just brutal. Mrs. Lee, do you recall how old you were the first time you publicly exposed your genitals? And then they make her watch portions of the sex tape in front of them to identify people and it's it's really a grueling ordeal yeah, I, to put anyone through. We need your testimony to verify the identity of the individuals represented on your tape as well as provide context for certain sections. You just want to punch yeah. that lawyer through the screen. Like, yeah. it's like, oh my god. Yes. The smarminess, like it's vicious misogyny. I would say yeah, vicious misogyny, absolutely. Like real woman hating bullshit. So you've never received money for performing a sex act? No. Objection. Asked and answered. Would that mean you don't consider posing naked for a camera to be a sex act? The lawyer who's interrogating her is essentially like spelling out the logic of misogyny as it like fell upon her. Like he he really yeah. is like like formulating these questions that that. Um, make it when seem... When did you first use your body for sex? You know, uh -huh. like use your body for money mm -hmm. or... It's like, it's like deductive reasoning says that you are a worthless piece of trash and you have no rights. Like, like, it's like, it's like that. You do learn a lot about how they were really pioneering privacy rights in the legal system with this case. No judge would side with this couple who's like, possessions were stolen and like uh yeah. most intimate things were like plastered everywhere like judges were buying this argument that it's a first amendment commentary to republish a sex tape this is about freedom of speech nobody's robbing bob guccione of his god-given rights to free expression pull 20 frames the nastiest bits legally things have transformed right like we mentioned up top there are laws now around revenge porn and things like that but i do think the misogyny when it comes to actors who participate in nude scenes this same question came up when was it in like 2014 when a lot of actresses photos were hacked mm -hmm. and released from their iclouds 
we saw the same thread where it was like, oh, but they took their tops off in this film. So why is this such a big deal? This isn't anything new. And and the fact that that question still comes up, it, it's disconcerting. And actually, one of the directors that we mentioned of those later episodes, Lake Bell, her photos have been stolen. And I just... <sighs> I mean, I think it's back to the patchiness question again. It's like two different things being stitched together. Um, yes. Like you have the jaunty bro comedy of the first three episodes. I mean, the first episode, you barely see Pamela as a character at right. all. You hear her very mm-hmm. loudly, like banging away with Tommy upstairs while the contractor is like drilling nails into wood, the most literal <laughs> metaphor you could <laughs> ever imagine. I do want to talk about the performances because I, mm. I think they're, they're very mm. committed. Um, and I, I, I would like to give Lily James kudos for accepting this role, which is obviously very different from, you know, her various English Rose Princess roles. Um, yes, Miss Cinderella but, herself. Yes, Miss Cinderella herself. She is in certain scenes uncannily similar to Pamela Anderson so much so that really for me like the lines seem to wobble and like blur I, I, I forgot in moments that she wasn't her I mean she is so likable you just like want to hang out with whatever that version of Pam Anderson is I do think that they're like sort of towards as the show goes on it, it maybe sometimes does get into like suffering saintly territory with her but I thought it was interesting that like when you're first introduced to her really in the second episode at first, I was like, oh, my God, this is a total caricature. Because she's at the nightclub. She's buying tequila shots with her girlfriends. Mm. Like, she's talking about not dating bad boys it's anymore. it's Goldschlager, it's, Spencer. Oh, sorry. sorry. Well, yes, there's a debate <laughs> over tequila or Goldschlager. You're right. It was the 90s. Um, and, uh, you know, you think, oh, my God, that's uh, that's the sort of ditz caricature that you expect the show to give you. But it just starts from that place of of starting the outside of what people think. And then, and then really gets mm. to, um, you really, like, yeah, again, like, feel for her terribly as the show goes on and you and you just like her what but, about sebastian stan what do we make of his i mean he is also so likable even though he's the worst person <laughs> to a fault, i would say yeah like i mean this is this is the really most complicated thing about the show i think is because i, I believe tommy lee to be like a pretty horrible person <laughs> like you know he went to jail i believe for for um Assaulting. Uh, for for assaulting pamela and and you know there's other accusations against him over the years of various things and uh uh, you know he has an okay relationship with her now, but um, doesn't seem like a like a like a like a cool dude. And and and, and you, watching the show, you're kind of like, yeah, Tommy, you're, you are kind of cool. So I, I felt I felt the most icky about that, even though like Sebastian's doing a great job. Babe, there's fucking guns in there, jewelry. I mean, who's gonna bother with some stupid unmarked tape? Not to like spoil the last episode, but there is like one scene where he. It's pretty frightening, but that's kind of, it feels like they're kind of just like checking that box. Right. That's, that's how I felt. Yeah. I would love to briefly mention Nick Offerman playing Uncle Milty, the pornographer. <laughs> oh boy. Basically, what if Ron Swanson oh boy. were a pornographer and what, instead of Tammy too, he had a bag of cocaine. Because <laughs> I think no one does these like very staid man on the knife edge of complete derangement better than Nick Offerman. <laughs> And so you know when you see him, you're like, oh yeah, this is where this is going. <laughs> this character, he is going to end up in Amsterdam in a room, <laughs> and oh it's going to get very, very messy. And surely it does. 
Did you fucking rat me out, man? No, no, of course not, dude, no, no. But do you think they followed you? I don't fucking know. Can I come inside? No, 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 it's very messy. I'd really rather you not. (laughs) We've been saying that the show is sympathetic toward Rand Gauthier, and it does, the show does make you feel bad for Mm -hmm. him. But in his, like, in those scenes with Nick Offerman's character, you're just kind of like, God, this guy is so stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Well, absolutely, (laughs) Like, I almost can't like I, I actually don't feel like i'm rooting for rand by like midway through the season i'm just like you're so yeah. dumb <laughs> well there was, seth rogan said something like uh most people who are acting badly are doing it from a very simple place i wanted to play <laughs> rand as someone who has very little going on in his head someone whose ultimate evil acts aren't done out of some amazing and deep thought process but are actually out of complete lack of thinking and caring about how his actions would affect others like he's He's dumped. Like, he, like, yeah. like, like you're, that, that is the character. The righteous, they get rewarded. The wicked, they get punished. I hope the universe kicks that rock star motherfucker square in his nuts. It will. I have full fucking faith. Rogan's character in that first episode, like, doesn't see Pamela barely at all. And I think, like, as the show goes on, part of the point of that character is that he eventually realizes that he has done something terrible to Pamela Anderson. Like, he, like this whole thing is about his feud with Tommy Lee. But towards the end of the series, he's, he's like, has this epiphany. <laughs> like, he's, like, a terrible right. satanic person because of this. Well, there's this evolution in his thinking. Like, the first time he sees her, or the first time we see her in the show, you know, she, she's coming out and she's in Tommy's car and he's driving. And I think her hair is, like, blowing in the wind and a rock song's mm-hmm. playing. And it's, it's, like, music video, celebrity star icon. And then... It, towards the end like you said he seems to finally realize that she is a real person that he has wounded grievously well that's like you know and that's exactly uh, sorry no it's like a process of atonement that you would hope that all men are starting to have about women on the internet unfortunately (laughs) exactly think it's true that's exactly what the show's doing right it's like it's like this is the male viewer particularly like uh going from you know, seeing Pamela Anderson as a as a picture on a poster to like seeing her as a real person. You know, our whole culture is supposedly doing that. Uh, you know, through works like this. Um, but in the end, uh, he kind of like doesn't have anything to do. Like he doesn't know what to do with his sense of guilt. It seems like, uh, and I yeah. think that's like part of what's not completely satisfying about shows like these is that like it's just like, well, that sucked. Like, and I <laughs> sure feel bad about that. Um, yeah. but, yeah. and let's take home some lessons, but like in the end, like you still feel like Pamela Anderson, like really lost something in her life because of this. Several billion people owe Pamela Anderson an apology. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 There's not enough florists. Yeah. You just kind of feel bad. A lot of these shows have tackled like nineties era things, but they're getting even more and more recent. There are so many shows coming out that are just tackling like ripped from the headlines, things that happened only a few years ago. And it's yeah. like... Are we just capitalizing again on recognizable scandals and turning them into shows? Or, or, or are we really taking the time to take away some new lessons? Right. Um, have the motivations have actually changed in revisiting these incidents? Or is it just about a different kind of exploitation? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I do. I do. I mean, I think this is a really fascinating and urgent question. I, I don't know that there's an easy answer. I Obviously, we don't need someone's permission to tell a story about them on the internet, especially if the story itself has valuable things to say, which I think this one does. But there is the queasiness in the... Just the fact that this is a story about someone who is exploited. And while the people involved have said that they're very much on her side and that they want to show her 
side of things and validate her perspective for the first time almost and and you know that they're fully on board with her and they respect her privacy i mean you cannot respect someone's privacy while making a mini series about them and about their exploitation without their permission and for me it's it's just this kind of very very tricky question to think about while you're watching the show i did enjoy it like you both did um i had my quibbles with it too but on the whole you know i found it really fascinating but when it comes to the exploitation question i don't know what to make of it so i I want you both to tell me um well (laughs) yes it is exploitative it absolutely (laughs) is uh however I think most storytelling that's based uh, in reality is exploitative in some way. You're, you're exploiting something that happened to turn into entertainment and you are bending the truth and you're taking liberties with people's lives and you're stealing their soul with the camera. Like that, like, like Joan Didion said that anytime that she writes that she's doing that. Like we all like all have to kind of live with this uncomfortable reality that um, there is always a trade-off. But in this case, and in, you know, ideally in the best cases, the trade-off involves like, uh, honoring the person that's being exploited and, and not making their life worse, you know? Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> and also, like, maybe, like, preventing worse exploitation from happening. And I would say, like, this is raising consciousness about the morality of sex tapes, the way that we treat women, the way that we treat celebrities, whether our attention matters. Like, a lot, there's a lot in here that hopefully people will check themselves about if they're watching. And so I don't know, like, I'm not... St. Peter or whatever, so I can't say whether this Judge gets into heaven or hell, but I think <laughs> that this is not a bad example of the genre. I feel bad for Pam. Um, if she doesn't like it, I would feel bad for Pam anyways from watching the series, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I, that's a good point. Here's what I think. I think it is exploitative, but something being exploitative doesn't immediately make it bad. And I think something we didn't bring up earlier, the revisiting Britney Spears, right? Those mm. documentaries that have come out, the first one, Framing Britney Spears, I thought that was worthwhile. I thought it, in investigating her story again, it is being exploitative, but it also shed light on a couple of perspectives that we hadn't seen and we hadn't really fully understood until we looked at it again. And then later on, there was a Netflix documentary that was telling the same story, but it talked to different subjects. It just probed a little bit more about her personal life and it didn't add much to the story in my perspective. And I felt like that was exploitative, but that wasn't necessarily good. Or, you know, the the trade-off, as Spencer said, wasn't all that valuable. This show, Pam and Tommy in the end, it is exploitative, but it is, it is rich. There are a lot of questions that it raises. It does provide new perspectives into the story. And ultimately, I don't think it's the type of exploitative that is bad. Also, exploitative is a hard word to say over and over. You know, I'm like, in England, we say exploitative. Is that not how you guys say it? <laughs> oh, no. no? Us oh. Horrible Americans. No, I like it. I like I'm a writer. I don't say these things out loud, so I don't know why I'm on this podcast. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, you guys are very insightful as usual. Uh, you, have, you, have, you have challenged me. You have changed my mind on some things. I'm grateful for this conversation. So we usually finish with a game. Uh, I would like to ask you both, uh, since we're in 90s week, to pick your 90s icon. I'm going to make fun of Shirley here because I think she was born in the 90s. She's a wee baby. Um, so maybe she'll pick like Barney or Elmo. Or that, like was, that. I was gonna say. <laughs> that 
Um, but yeah, which 90s icon can't you live without? I'll go. Mine is Alanis Morissette. I am right there with Tommy Lee watching her on VH1, jamming along to You Ought to Know I Love Alanis Till I Die, Spencer. <laughs> Uh, that is like an incredibly hard question. Um, oh. The 90s are the best decade. They, they are. They made the only pop culture worth consuming. Music. And uh, <laughs> history should have begun in 1990 and ended in 2000. But personally, my favorite musician or person from the 90s is Trent Reznor of Nine Inch Nails. And Aww. I could see like there being like wow. a very frightening little mini series about him recording the downward spiral in the mansion where Sharon Tate was murdered. Ooh. So. Mm-hmm. That's my guy. I've actually seen Nine Inch Nails in concert five times. They're so good. You two are so cool. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually um, really, I'm rooting hard for Trent to get an EGOT. I feel like he's pretty close. He just oh, has to be really He's Nine Inch yeah. Nails, yes. G-Bot Musical, and win a Tony, and then he's he's there. Yeah, 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 yeah. His stuff with Halsey, too, recently has been like, mm-hmm. yeah. Banging. Yeah, the 90s were probably the last. Who said this recently? I think Chuck Klosterman. Yeah. Yeah. He wrote yeah, this recently yeah. a, a, about how like the 90s were the last like proper decade. So, you know, I, we're, we're all screwed. Which I, I think that's debatable, but yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, look at all those Y2K kids that are like dressed in their <laughs> juicy couture's right now. Like, yeah. But, anyways, go on. Well, when I first thought about the question, I was like, well, Spice Girls. That Aww. was, my, you know, but I was, I was actually thinking if I want a TV show about like a 90s icon, because they're, is this trend of all these shows revisiting tech culture. Now that we've had this conversation, I'm kind of like, I would love to know about the last days of Blockbuster. Oh, (laughs) really? (laughs) I don't know. That's just, look, this is never going to be greenlit. This is probably a very dumb idea. But I was kind of thinking, what was like omnipresent to me in the 90s? Yes, I was a child. But (laughs) going to Blockbuster was the greatest time <laughs> oh it really was the wall of candy there's that netflix show right there was i i am remembering that but there's just gotta be i don't know yeah but like video store culture yeah mm-hmm. again a reason that the 90s were the best yeah mm-hmm. i agree that does it for the show the review is produced by Kevin Townsend with help from AC Valdez. The executive producer of Atlantic Podcasts is Claudine Abade. And our art is by Charlie Lemignon. I'm Sophie Gilbert. Thank you, Shirley. Thank you. Thank you, Spencer. Thank you. We'll be back next week. This episode of Radio Atlantic is brought to you by Microsoft Copilot for Security, completely integrated into your organization's security infrastructure. This AI companion is informed by 78 trillion signals daily to help you catch the threats others miss and reinforce your team's security posture efficiently. It synthesizes data from numerous sources and can analyze 500 lines of code in under a minute to put critical guidance at defenders' fingertips. It helps teams detect threats and take action in minutes instead of hours or days, which can reduce attack investigation time by up to 40%. Copilot also serves as a key second pair of eyes, upskilling junior analysts with advanced capabilities, which frees up senior staff to focus on strategic priorities, all while safeguarding your data privacy. Learn more at microsoft.com slash copilot for security.